Hello and welcome to episode 208 of The Great and Crowbar. This is the 27th of September. Uh, I'm Tom Francis and with me here is... Philip Orr. And no one else. Because <laughs> <laughs> Chris is away in Italy, right? Yeah. Um, Milano. Uh, and Tom Senior had a work emergency and so it's just us. Mm, and we don't know anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and we also haven't played that much, so it might be a semi-short one, depending on how many questions we've got. It's fine. Um, but uh, I got some news. We What's your news, news, Tom? My news is that um, Heat Signature came out. <laughs> we released it after three and a half years. It's actually uh, nearly four years since I started it. started December 2013. Um, but uh, I did take a few months off doing other things in that time, so it's about three and a half years of actual work time. I'm just upset that I won't be able to ask you how much time do you think is left, and, <laughs> and you won't nowadays say about six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works. It was um, six months from the start of the project <laughs> until until about twelve months from the end of the project. Uh, that's when I stopped saying six months um, and started thinking it was less. <laughs> um, and I was always wrong. Uh, well, I was wrong right up until I announced the release date, which is kind of, that's why I announced the release date then, is because I know every other time I'll be wrong. I only announce release dates when the game is already ready, basically. If I could release the build I have, that's the only time I actually know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, you see it going down and you're still wrong every time. So you're like, I think it's about two months now. And then two months later, it's like, well, I still think it's about two months, but I don't think it's six months. <laughs> so I'm getting closer, right? And then We're operating like, in this variable probability space. <laughs> and when it feels like it's two weeks away, it's about six weeks away. But that's still, that's much less than, you know, if you said two months at that point, you'd actually be overestimating. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it did eventually come out. It's actually really one of the many good things about it. But um, one of them is that uh, when you're working on a project, it's taken much longer than expected. You're in good company. Loads of other people are doing that. And there's always, you always know there's a distinction between like, the um, uh, the heat signatures, uh, which take three and a half years, and the Alboys, which take eight years. <laughs> and it's always like, I'm not one of the eight-year ones, am I? <laughs> like, Alboy, by all accounts, uh, was amazing when it did come out, and sounds like it was um, worth all the work. But even so, I would not trade places <laughs> with them. Uh, there's nothing I would be happy to spend eight years on. I wouldn't make... I can make a perfect version of Half-Life 3, and it took eight years, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> wow. Uh, I couldn't, so <laughs> that's what that's one consolation. Um, yeah, so it's nice to finally graduate from the uh, maybe this will never come out club to the... It did come out, it just took a really long time club. <laughs> do you get a badge? Does the indie uh, community... No, I was thinking about starting like a support group, though, <laughs> before it came out. Like, it's going to take any longer. Me and uh, Steve Swink were talking about this. He's been working on scale for... Uh, definitely longer than three and a half years. I can't remember exactly how long. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. I've written about that a few times, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, it'd be interesting to talk to all these guys and sort of uh, file them under uh, people who have been constantly working on it all that time and people who've, like... I think the reason Alboy took, two, took seven years was that they just couldn't work on it for a long time because they had to do contract work to support themselves, which mm. in which case makes perfect sense. Um, but, yeah, like... Uh, I don't know for sure, but I think Spy Party's been like seven years, and I think that's been pretty much full time for Chris. Um, mm. And The Witness was seven years, and that was like uh, certainly uh, pretty sure full time for uh, Jonathan Blow, and uh, I think a few core staff, and then got bigger. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the launch itself. I was 
Um, I started a, a, a sort of running joke. Did I start it or did other people start it? Oh, other people kind of started it, but I played into it and I regret it now. Um, <laughs> where uh, I was saying, like, he's English out tomorrow. I wanted to make sure, like, sometimes a game announces a release date and the date itself means nothing to me. And then the date itself just kind of comes and goes without me noticing. Like, there'll be one tweet about this launch or whatever. Um, and if I miss that, then I just literally don't know the game is out. And I wanted to make extra, extra sure that could not happen. If you follow me at all, you're going to fucking hear about this game. <laughs> <laughs> and so, A, yeah, and that's the release date when it was, like, uh, only slightly more than a week away. So I could say it's Thursday next week. So you, there's no confusion about what time frame we're talking about here. It's not months away. It's n- next week. Um, and then every day I was like... Um, didn't make a tweet about it every day, but I would change my name every day to how many days it's going to be out in. And then I was reminding people like the day before, like, um, uh, oh, it's 24 hours left. And then people would probably say, why don't you just press the button now? Wouldn't it be easy to press the button now? <laughs> and so many people were saying that, but it became kind of funny to me. So I posted a screenshot of everyone saying that, um, particularly on the morning of, of the launch day. Um, and then actually they started saying it so much that it was actually getting quite stressful. <laughs> it was like, look, guys, no one wants this out more than me. Please just leave me alone while I sort this out. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, our artist, John Roberts, did a fantastic gif of me spinning on my chair and threatening to press the big green button. <laughs> um, and, uh, all that joking, uh, aside, I was actually planning on launching it a bit early. I was going to launch it like 15 minutes early because I wanted to, um, I couldn't see the purchase options. There's a special edition and you just can't see that in the preview v- version of the store. So, um, uh, I wanted to make sure that displayed okay. I was actually even going to do a test purchase. I was going to sort of buy the game um, on a different account and check that worked. And also I wanted to make the trailer live because it, we had a launch trailer that I was insistent. This goes up when the game is out. It doesn't go up before because I'm sick of watching launch trailers that are like, um, it says like Shadow of Mordor launch trailer and you watch it and think, great. And then like, you can't buy it. It's not out. Launch <laughs> is like two weeks away. Like, how is that a launch trailer? Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, and it just seems like good business sense as well to be able to say in your trailer it's out now buy it now you can just do that um because that's the moment you've sold them on it hopefully so i was very insistent it doesn't go up until the game is out but i did absolutely want it there for moment one because it's really um i'm really proud of it i think it's a really good trailer we've got the voice of um uh, alex ashby who does the something true podcast um and i love that podcast and his voice is perfect the heat signature um and uh, put loads, loads of work in that trailer. It was hell to make. <laughs> um, and so I really wanted to do that for launch. And, um, I, so that was one of the things I was going to do early. I was actually sort of stuck. I was starting to worry about 15 minutes early because everyone was, was asking me to release it early. I, I knew some people were actually checking and I actually didn't want it to be like, the thing I didn't want to happen is someone to realize it was out early. And then they do a tweet and everyone retweets that because it's the first news that is out. And then my own tweet doesn't go as far. And the, yeah. you know, that's the one that's going to have the, you know, uh, that's the kind of tweet you, draft like more than a week in advance so i know exactly what this tweet is going to say and uh, how many links it has in it and whether it's a gif or a video and all this stuff um so i left it a little bit later like sort of seven minutes before launch and the first thing i did was try and make the trailer live and it just didn't work <laughs> the trailer just did not appear on the steam page and i i thought i knew sometimes it takes like a couple of minutes but then there's a special option to like flush the cache and stuff and it did all that still didn't appear it'd been like five minutes and like this is not working i've literally i have to do something to fix this and my theory was it wasn't like the change I'd made, all it was doing was checking a box, an extra trailer that was already there. I didn't wait that late to upload it. I already had it ready to go and I just was telling it to be public. And I thought maybe the system can't recognize that as a change. So it hasn't really republished. So I need to make another change to get it to recognize as a change. And the change I made was to like, 
move the trailers around, like change the order of them, and then also make one of them not public anymore, and also simultaneously upload a new version of the trailer in case that's the problem. Um, and then right after I did that, um, uh, the guys in our heat signature Discord uh, said, oh, it's live for me now. Uh, so the first change I made had just taken effect. And now I've made all these other changes that are now, <laughs> A, they're going to fuck up the page, and B, they're going to fuck up the page in like six minutes' time. <laughs> when, uh, so I, And I can't stop it in the meantime. So I just spent 100% of the time stressing about that, and then I was about like seven minutes late launching the game. <laughs> so it all horribly backfired. But the launch itself went great, um, and uh, it's been six days now. Um, and incredibly, it's actually sold better than Gunpoint, slightly better, um, which is way beyond expectations. I was like... I'd made my peace with the fact it couldn't come anywhere close to gunpoint because it's just a totally different market now and um uh the sort of uh what's the word i want to say assumed wisdom received wisdom um is that the there are just so many games out there it's impossible for anything to get attention and um uh yeah it was very uh, pretty pessimistic about its chances um uh, but it did really well, and I don't know why. <laughs> I wish I could share some useful advice, but uh, I really... It's not because it's good. <laughs> Sounds like a, a self-critical thing That's to say. That's depressing. But, uh, I think it is good. I really like the game. But uh, the just the, the graph would not make sense for that, because it wasn't like some people bought it, and then they really loved it, and they started to tell their friends, and it built and built and built. Mm. It just started fucking huge. Um, and... Uh, you know, like all launches, decline from there. So, if anything, word of mouth probably put people off. <laughs> no, I that's don't not true. think that's true. Um, like, I've seen people saying really good things about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's actually been uh, wonderful, the, the things people have been sending me, because um, they're all sharing stories of things that happened in the game, and all things that, you know, didn't happen to other people. And yeah. uh, that's something we didn't have with Gunpoint. Gunpoint was... Uh, uh, people liked it, and people did find... Some clever solutions, but the game was, it wasn't on rails, but it, it gave you, it constrained the scope of your solutions. It was like, you are trying to do this with these tools, and uh, there are X ways to do that. Uh, whereas Heat Signature, because it's all random, I don't even know what challenges you're facing, I don't know what tools you have, it's all just um, uh, crazy. And uh, it's great hearing those stories, I love it. Um, I saw somebody <laughs> saying, uh, I just saw a tweet called saying, um, uh, oh man, having great fun playing Heatseek. Here's my story about it. And I actually uh, went away uh, and did something else. And I came back 25 minutes later and the guy was still tweeting. <laughs> still new tweets in the thread. Um, oh, wow. And uh, yeah, we asked people to share GIFs and videos and stuff because we're doing a sort of thing where um, the best of those will become our trading cards. We want to sort of tell those stories. Um, and so people are sharing lots of those, but obviously they have an incentive to do that so that you can't read too much into that. But the stories... We didn't give any incentive for that. We didn't ask people to do that. That's just something people are doing because they want to share them. Um, and yeah, so that's really nice. Today we've got uh, fan art um, of, that someone did of his, his own characters. He had a, a pair of brothers where one of them had to rescue the other one. And uh, we sometimes, there's a chance each time you have a mission to rescue another a relative or, um, or anyone, there's a, I think it's like a, 20% chance we'll just add the word idiot in front of them. <laughs> so, rescue my idiot brother. And he obviously got that because his, his drawing was of the, the brother and his idiot brother. <laughs> nice. I was wondering, I should probably ask John this, like what it's like to get fan art of the thing that you did the art for. Yeah. Because that must be an interesting experience. Like whether it's kind of, oh wow, I didn't think of it like that. or Yeah, particularly yeah. with this because um, 
he must be looking at that fan art trying to figure out which... Because, uh, you know, they're not characters that are in the game. They're randomly generated ones. So mm. he's probably figuring out, like, oh, did they get headpiece 3B with torso <laughs> 6A? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. But, like, I'm glad that it's got done so well. I know that Chris has been playing it. And he managed to... I didn't quite follow it because I didn't know the mission that he was talking about. But he managed to do something incredibly stupid but also incredibly good at the <laughs> same time. It sounded like he just catapulted himself out into space. Yeah, in, so into there's... Hubris. Um, <laughs> that sounds like Chris. Uh, there's a mission... Uh, so in addition to the, the sort of main game where you're playing as a, a character who takes on uh, lots of missions and you know if you survive you continue doing them uh, there are also these one-off defector missions where um, you play as a preset character with a preset inventory on a preset ship uh, it's a little bit randomly generated but the parameters of like what challenges you're facing are, are set and there's just one of those where you start with no pod so you just start in space and you have to propel yourself with uh, by firing guns um, to reach your target starts pretty close to you but it's already moving away so you've got to kind of catch up and drift over there um, and yeah, Chris was telling me he did that mission, um, got on the ship and, uh, killed everyone, took out his target and then, um, just sort of blew out a window and, and shot himself into space thinking he was going to pick himself up with his pod, but forgot he didn't have a pod on this mission. <laughs> and so then just had to propel himself all the way back around to the airlock and get back inside. <laughs> oh, nice. But, um, what's it been like? Cause when I saw you, uh, well, when I saw you the first time after, it was the day after, and you were kind of in that dazed space of, uh, <laughs> not entirely sure what's going on. <laughs> and then I saw you, I think, two days after that for the launch party. <laughs> and then, so now has it sort of sunk in, or like, yeah, what's it's got, the feeling? Um, uh, yeah, like one day after, really... The numbers looked incredibly good, but it was very hard to know, is this going to stay like this all week? Is it going to stay like this for the next four years? Because I have four years of data on gunpoint. And so it's really <laughs> tempting to try and extrapolate out and say, oh, if I did this in this many days, then you multiply that by this and you get that. Uh, but you don't really know because anything can change. And in particular, we had a really big drop yesterday in sales. Um, and I was panicking about that. And because I looked at gunpoint and gunpoint didn't have a big drop in its fifth day. Um, but the other factor is that uh, five days after Gunpoint's launch, uh, it was the first weekend since it launched. And five days after Heat English's launch, it was the first weekday since the kind of the first couple of days. And I don't know, haven't heard this anywhere else, but the th- my theory is that um, you sell more on weekends and less on weekdays on Steam. Most of the internet works on the opposite principle. Like the internet is generally busier on weekdays, but it would make sense for Steam to not follow that rule because it is mm. your own. Uh, buying games you're probably going to buy games when you have time to play them <laughs> um so that would make sense and yeah uh now that we have another day of data after that i can see that it's held steady since then so it's not uh like when there's one drop at the time you don't know if this is just it normalizing to a, a, a normal level or whether it's like oh yeah this day we lost half our sales next day we lost the other half <laughs> and yeah. then it makes another dollar um that's the uh the scary part but even then, I mean, that was just, uh, it was just the only hint of anything going in any way, um, wrong since the start. And it just kind of shook me a bit because I've been making all these projections of like, oh, if it does this, then it does this. And I, I knew not to be 100% sure of those things, but then suddenly it was like, oh God, am I completely wrong? Am I all my projections totally off? Um, 
uh, if it did stop selling completely right now, I would be okay. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be quite as big a success as it, as it looks right now. Uh, but I think that's unlikely. I don't think that usually happens. I haven't heard of anyone who's game just literally never sold another copy after day six, unless they like broke the law or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not unless it gets like yanked from sale, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, uh, that part of it is, is settled down. Um, but I still find, uh, all my indie friends have stories about the thing that made their launch a stressful hell. And for me with Gunpoint, it was tech support. It was that people, a perfectly normal percentage of people having trouble, like, you know, less than 1%. Um, but because I wasn't a programmer and I was the only programmer, <laughs> um, I didn't have any confidence I could ever fix these problems. So it was just like, oh God. And also there's no refund system. So I couldn't give them their money back. And I also couldn't give them the game they wanted. And I felt like I'd, um, ripped them off. Um, but in the end, you know, we, uh, I fixed, a bunch of those and then we also changed engines to try and fix the rest of them um, and then the refund system happened so um, it's not a problem anymore and this time I have a programmer um, who uh, handles most of that stuff and also just gives me confidence that we'll fix this we'll figure it out um, and so this time there hasn't really been one thing it's just that I'm in this like heightened state of like everything is going to affect me way more than normal and so yeah that like yesterday which in the grand scheme of things is totally normal was like oh god is the sky falling is it all over (laughs) (laughs) um and i'm also just feeling like uh it's great having all this um all these stories coming in and stuff but also people are you know if they see like a bug or a glitch they want to report they'll often do it to me on twitter um, Mm. rather than through the normal bug reporting form and that means there's also just this random distribution of somewhat negative stuff you know it's not they're not actually complaining of his stuff they're just saying oh i think this is or i think this ui doesn't work or this is the thing and i'm just in this like ultra sensitive state where i can't take any criticism at all <laughs> so uh, i just have to like not look at it when that happens um I'll, I'll, at some point i'll go through it and, and figure this stuff out and also people are, if it's a serious thing people will be filing bug reports and uh um, john will be seeing it um but like right now, I can't really deal with any criticism, so I'm just trying to like hide from it. <laughs> I, I haven't really your read Twitter reviews. Twitter is like completely unusable right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, like I say, it's mostly full of just people telling great stories and sharing clips and stuff, and so that's lovely. So there's like you know, um, for a, every minor bug report, there's like nine great uh, bits of um, either people being really happy with the game or specifically saying how much they like it. Um, mm. So that's. Uh, Maybe if you hire like nice. an intern as a buffer, <laughs> and really then they can about this, sift <laughs> everything else off into like a little bucket of later. <laughs> it's okay for heat signature because there's going to be if I can ever finish the current batch of like um, organizational tasks that I've been putting off um, and just get enough breathing room to take a bit of a break. I'm going to have some distance on it, and I can already feel that happening. I can already I've started in a new um, document. There's been the heat signature dash thoughts.txt has been my uh, scribbling pad for this for four years and now i started a heat signature dash new thoughts.txt which is um just sort of figure out you know what if anything do i want to change um and i'm already finding like oh i suddenly like feel uh much freer about it you know towards the end you're trying to lock everything down so it's like you know can't do that can't do that can't do that it's too much it's going to might mess with this we don't have enough time to test that um Anything like that has to just go. You can't make any big changes. And now I'm in the point where I'm not going to make any big changes, but they're just like things like um, uh, just weird little item ideas or something that, uh, you know, that might work or it might turn out to be a waste of time. Before launch, that would be absolutely no, don't do it. <laughs> now it's like, yeah, I could experiment with that at some point. I don't know when. <laughs> but, um, um, so, yeah, that 
when I do have some distance, I'll also go back and sort of I'll read the reviews and I'll figure out. Um, uh, I probably won't. I'm not going to go scouring for for negatives, <laughs> but I'll just get a, a rough idea of um, what the common um, sticking points are and see if they're the thing I, kinds of things I can do anything about. Probably most of them I can't because it. Um, uh, I like I heard from one guy who's just really annoyed that there's permadeath and it's like well i don't think we're going to take permadeath out at this point i think that would be putting a bit of a switcheroo on the people who bought it <laughs> um so yeah I, I don't know what what i will do to it but it's nice just to it will be nice to have some breathing room and uh to get away from it for a little bit and then come back to it i hear you have some news yes i have a new job yay <laughs> yay I have Chris's old job. Which <laughs> um, is weird. It's very different, I think, than because we've spoken a bit about it because obviously. Um and I think it's actually a different a very different um sense of a thing because um obviously uh so if you don't know, I'm now the deputy editor of PC Gamer uh magazine. Um and so that means I have stopped doing RPS type things because obviously <laughs> <laughs> and moved from the internet to uh, print, which yeah. is really interesting. Um, and so the person that I will be working most closely with and have started to already is Phil Savage, who's the current editor. And so it's this interesting thing where, like, the editor and the deputy editor, like, it's a different partnership, every kind of different mm. pairing. And so I think, cause when it was Chris, he was working with Graham. And so they're very different people again than, than me and Phil. So yeah. it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And also, you know, just really exciting to come up with different ideas and hopefully gradually see them in print. So <laughs> that's really exciting. <laughs> I never yeah. get to hold anything I do apart from <laughs> if I print it out. <laughs> and that's weird. Yeah, that robs it of the, the specialness, doesn't it, if you printed it yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's not shiny, there's no page numbers if you don't put them on yourself, you know. <laughs> Are you going to be the um, uh, brutal, hard taskmaster of PCG or the nice pushover of PCG? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> everyone is in between those two. Um, I don't know. I think I wouldn't know. I'm not, I'm not by nature a brutal, mean <laughs> person. I, I think I can accidentally be quite cutting about things, uh, especially if they do not please me. Um, but that tends to be more, you know, hot takes of the internet variety or, you know, that kind of, um, sort of, it's it's if things are badly researched or just daft that I tend to roll my eyes or make some sort of uh, remark that I maybe regret. Also, if scrapbooking comes up, I can't say <laughs> scrapbooking. I get so cross about it. <laughs> Just but, people doing it? Like, so not people doing it because I appreciate that it's like part of, you know, valuing your memories and like presenting them in a particular way and like... You know, that's a really cool thing to do. It's more the way that um, the companies who make a lot of the products that people use for scrapbooking, like, sort of take on so much of the work in some cases that you're essentially just giving people almost like a template and then, like, so many people end up with the same memory, just a different specific photo that they've jammed in or something, and you end up in these really weird situations with 
It's like card toppers. Like card toppers are kind of like these pre-made, um, like, uh, decorative things with like adhesive backs usually. Mm. And they essentially form the bulk of a card and then you just plonk it onto the card that you'd like to use it for. And then there you go. You have your own and like in air quotes, handmade card. <laughs> and so, you know, I just get a bit funny about craft. Is that, that isn't a really thing craft. you use for cards, but not for scrapbooking? So some of it, like, it's a similar idea. Like you can get a lot yeah. of like embellishments, but some of them are like really complicated and form almost like picture frames for photos. And they have their uses and stuff, but like sometimes it's almost like you just sort of are giving people this cookie cutter template and pretending that it's unique. It just, <laughs> there's something about it that really, really rubs me up the wrong way. How do you feel about, <laughs> um, Snapchat dog ears? <laughs> <laughs> I am too old to be using Snapchat, <laughs> so... <laughs> but does it bother you that everyone's selfies are effectively the same because they're all wearing the same dog ears and the same weird tongue thing? I don't know. <laughs> I find that interesting, but I think that that's mostly because I'm being a contrary dig. Um, no, I find I, it yeah. interesting because... I find its popularity interesting. Yeah. It's just the thing I just stumbled across and be like, oh, that's dumb. Um, yeah. But the fact that it's like so universally, like that one in particular... Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> almost every human who used their services has, um, has used it. And I think it's because, uh, taking photos of yourself and sharing on the internet it can be a really healthy and positive thing. But I think the people who are maybe hesitant to do it, the reason is they don't have a sort of pretext to do it. Mm. Like if they're in a cool place or something, they won't hesitate to take a photo of themselves in the cool place and share that. And then, uh, they'll get some of the benefits of a selfie without having to sort of uh, be that person who posts selfies. Uh, and I think the dog ears do the same thing. Like they, there's just kind of a pretext to share a selfie. And I get don't the know. I think that that maybe speaks more to the kinds of people that we know. I don't want me. The... <laughs> well, I was going to say, because I don't think that you do need a pretext to post a selfie. Like nowadays, particularly, it's more that like there's there are so many fascinating podcasts about how especially teen girls use um snapchat and instagram and things like that and you know the the um threshold by which you judge whether something was a good post or not and whether you then keep it up or whether it's shameful enough that you take it down instantly (laughs) or you know you you try the same thing again the next day but in a slightly different pose or you know that kind of thing and there was also a really interesting um BBC podcast, I think it's their food podcast about, uh, clean eating and that relationship with Instagram. And it digs into, you know, what is positioned as healthy and, um, aesthetically so. And so that was really interesting. Mm. And there's sort of, um, someone on there made a really interesting point about the way that funding works and how there aren't actually that many studies about how Instagram specifically uh, changes or potentially impacts how people's self-esteem works. But it's possibly because um, the research is conducted by maybe the generation up from those that are using Instagram at the moment, but the funding comes from the generation up from that. (laughs) And so there's a kind of disconnect between who's using the thing and valuing it and where the research sort of potential or value proposition lies. Anyway, that was uh, quite the digression. Um, 
but yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't think I will be a, a brutal <laughs> deputy. Unless these subjects come up. You've been warned, Peter Gamer stuff. Wow. <laughs> That's actually why Tom Senior isn't here, is because he was caught scrapbooking at work and it <laughs> would not let him leave until he wrote an essay on the evils of over-templated scrapbooking. The fact that he still hasn't finished that is uh, is very pleasing <laughs> to me. It means there's a lot to say. <laughs> but yeah, so um, although to be fair, I worked from home today for various technical IT-based reasons. And so... You asked what it was like working for PCG, and I was like, well, I, I worked uh, from my room, uh, same as last week. I wrote about indie games, same as last week, and I had Alice in a chat box uh, so that we could talk about Judy Dench, so <laughs> same, same as last week, really. <laughs> but, you know, I'm really excited, and I think it's going to be awesome, so, <laughs> Yeah. Um, there was also Plunk news. If yeah. you wanted to to have some actual like external to us, <laughs> yeah. apparently people other than us had news this week. <laughs> um, and it was essentially that there was that slightly confusing press release that Blue Hole, who develop um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, put out that was essentially a kind of odd warning shot to Epic games about Fortnite's Battle Royale mode mm. and that essentially they were keeping an eye on it and you know um something like well we consider further action it was, it was I think it was essentially it sounded like they were to me reading it, it it was a confusing press release it really was um and reading it it sounded very much like they were sort of doing that thing of trying to make it clear that this was a situation that they were aware of and would be monitoring almost like a kind of public warning to Epic as a, you know, like perhaps that would be effective in a way that a, a private email wouldn't be or something. Um, yeah. But then I believe, uh, I think it was Chris Livingston did uh, a kind of clarification interview um, that went up on the PC Gamer website. And essentially it, it sounded more like they were, they were, they were having, um, the issue was with the fact that Fortnite was obviously an Epic game, an Epic own Unreal engine. And that's what Bluehole are licensing and paying royalties because it's a really successful game. So that's a lot of money. Mm. And they are working with Epic to sort of have support for that engine. And so the changes that they are working with Epic to make will obviously be useful for their game, but could also be being used by Epic for Fortnite. And I think there was, um, that, that's where it sounded like that was where the animosity was creeping in. But at the same time, I was kind of doing a bit of reading round on this and just sort of trying to figure out bits and pieces. Cause I, like, I get why it is, uh, an annoyance, you know, why, you know, if you're working on a thing and, and you're sort of asking for specific help to try and make a thing happen. And then maybe if you see it pop up in another game, that's galling and it chafes. But at the same time, like I actually was, um, looking through 
some blog posts about the pros and cons of licensing engines because I'm fun at parties. <laughs> and um, one of the points that someone made, and I was looking through the um, end user license agreement for Unreal Engine. I mean, obviously, Bluehole might well have their own custom agreement and, uh, you know, this m- might well be null and void. But um, I think one of the actual parts of that is that you agree not to sue right. <laughs> Epic. And so if they have signed a version of that, then... <laughs> I don't even know what the what what the action that they could take is maybe, apart from re-engining the game, you know? <laughs> like maybe that's why they're doing it in this posturing way of like yeah. making it sound like they're going to Epic know they can't, they know they can't, but the public now thinks, "Ooh, Epic are in trouble for this bad thing they did," and that yeah. might force Epic's hand in some way. See, that's what I'm thinking, like in the it's, way of it's using your public like um, I think it, yeah, persona to Add pressure, but I think it maybe if the goal was to do with public opinion, it might have backfired on them a bit because it came out sound like the sort of the surface level story that uh, that kind of got passed around was they're suing um, Epic for making a battlegrounds uh, for making a battle royale style game, and of course they did not invent battle royale. <laughs> like um, Brendan Green, who is player unknown, has said in multiple interviews, you know, like I do not even. I'm not even going to pretend to claim ownership of that yeah. genre, and you know, it's so, so that, odd. That's what they made it. That's what it's ended up looking like on the surface level, and so it, I don't think it's won them much favour in the public eye, uh, even if that wasn't, uh, even if that isn't really the substance of their argument. Hmm. So it's all a bit weird, but then again, like it, it also feels like Player Unknown is this. I mean, Player Unknown Battlegrounds rather is this absolute juggernaut at the moment because they um they surpassed well they they've already surpassed the um steam uh the uh dota 2 like concurrent players but then i think maybe last week they went past 1.5 million concurrent (laughs) players these are absolutely ridiculous numbers like properly ridiculous because they passed the, like, Dota's all-time record, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's something like um, that, right? And it just seems to be continually growing. Um, and, yeah, this is a game that costs, what is it? Is it 35 quid, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Uh, versus a game that's free. Dota's <laughs> free. And I've, like... Um, well, you say free. Do not ever <laughs> look at my purchase You can spend it, you don't have to. Um... And so, like, if you're looking at, you know, a, a, a revenue comparison, it would be pretty much meaningless because it would tell you more about spending habits than popularity. But concurrent players is a pretty good measure of people actually being interested in this thing and uh, and playing it. Um, and I have released a paid games and free games, and the difference in player base is uh, is startling. Um, so, Floating Point is my free game on Steam, and uh, that is. Uh, consistently ahead of gunpoint in players, and that's a game no one's heard of. <laughs> like, uh, no one comes up to me and says, "Oh yeah, I love Floating Point." <laughs> really? Uh, no, even if they're really into grappling hooks and geometry. Oh well, I've talked about it with some people who I've like showed it to in person and stuff. Um, and so- sometimes we eventually, like later in the conversation, they figure out, "Oh, I did play that grappling hook game." 
But uh, it's not a known game to the extent that Gunpoint is. Because like. you know that my skill set means that if you and I were complete strangers, that is the thing that I would say to you. Like, <laughs> You're the floating point <laughs> guy. And everyone would be like, what about Gunpoint? And I'm like, I was bad at Gunpoint. I didn't get far. And then, but what about Heat Signature? It's like, Tom and I are opposites. We do not play games the same way. We just don't. <laughs> so yeah, floating point. Oh, yes. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's got like 980,000 players. <laughs> and it's because it's free. And so there's a big difference. Like, being free is a big uh, win. And so the fact that Player on Battlegrounds is ahead of Dota, even though Dota is free and Battlegrounds is quite expensive, is pretty incredible. It makes me wonder what we would have seen if Minecraft had been on Steam. Because, I mean, we, I guess we had Minecraft sales figures that just no one compared it to. Mm. <laughs> I guess we don't really have Steam sales figures, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have them for Valve games, and Valve games are usually the top um, of these things. It's interesting, actually, they, I guess they haven't really been... Strangely, their own storefront slightly screws them, because it doesn't give uh, games like Dota any kind of slots, because there's the top sellers is done by revenue. Mm. So if you're a free game, you just don't get in there, I don't think. I don't actually know whether in-app purchases count towards your revenue in there? I don't think so, because I think it's just sort of... Um, uh, hmm, I don't know. Because there's in the Steam sort of workings, there's something called a package, and when you buy something in the store, you're getting a package, and a package can contain apps. Um, I guess maybe a package can also contain in-game content? I don't know. But, but I wouldn't be surprised just, just sort of architecturally if, if it's just games that people have bought, and so... Mm. But the thing with Dota was that when it was um, in beta, like they seeded, you know, special beta keys that would like, you know, just keep refreshing yeah. in people's, um, what's it called, you know, not the inventory. inbox, but yeah, in your inventory and you'd, you know, then just try and get rid of the damn things and <laughs> give them to other people and sort of also you'd want people to play with because then yeah. that's less toxic, you know, <laughs> and you'd want a team or you'd want to coordinate. And so I think that they... Not took advantage ex- exactly because I don't want to imply it was like monopolistic, but I think obviously like there was an element of well, you know, we're using our platform to promote this thing, and then the other thing I guess is that um, Dota is a free game, but at the same time, with those kinds of things, you know, you you make money off people willing to spend shed tons of money within that ecosystem, right? So yeah. maybe like. Because with uh, Plunkbat, I mean, obviously it's got um, it's got microtransactions and things, and you can do a, you know all kinds of things to just get loot boxes, right? Um, but you know the 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 big thing is you know you want that thirty five quid as someone comes through the door, right? Whereas mm. with Dota, it's more you know it, maybe it would be fine if they even if they halved their player base, as long as it was the ones that are willing to keep <laughs> throwing money at wizard hats or battle yeah, passes. Because uh, Battlegrounds are selling, like, dirty grey shirts, aren't they? <laughs> That's their monetization. I <laughs> hate the outfits. Actually, yeah, I had more than one person. I had more than one person tell me that they sold um, a shitty T-shirt in Battlegrounds to pay for heat signature. <laughs> Couldn't afford it, so I sold a bad T-shirt. Oh. Yeah, no, the clothing is so ugly. Um, actually, so if we just morph this into what I have been playing, because yeah. I started playing Plunk Bat with oh, right. Alice. Um, so that was actually our final 
chat was starting to play plug back <laughs> together. Um, and so one of the things that I did was I actually didn't have a choice about um, who I was playing because I was using the RPS press account and Adam had already built a character. And so I had what was essentially business casual Jason Statham <laughs> in kind of, you know, sort of smart casual cargo pants and, you know, a, a white collared shirt with like a tie. Um and yeah, so, but it was just so depressing. And I, I tried to, um, ameliorate things by opening a loot chest with some of Adam's, uh, credits, which, uh, <laughs> let's just gloss right over <laughs> that one. Um, Did you hear this? Um, and all it gave me was a v-neck red t-shirt. <laughs> you're kidding me like i you know i think i i don't know what the exact real money to plunk bucks you know exchange rate please tell me they call them plunk bucks (laughs) well they don't they should and i won't hear of any other (laughs) options but um i don't I, i don't think that that's even worth the amount that it would translate to in real life, right? Because you can get a red V-neck t-shirt from, <laughs> you know, a bargain, to, like from H&M or something, and it'll cost you, what, two ninety nine. So I am not putting up with this nonsense in a game. They should do, like, because um, H&M did, like, a tie-in pack with The Sims, right? Where oh, you yeah. Buy clothes. They should do that for <laughs> Battlegrounds. But, like, they also had, um, cause I, I, you know, how it gives you the, um, the preview of what that chest could contain, so oh, as right. to make you go, oh, the <laughs> next be. one will be this be thing. I know. Um, and there seem to be other options that I would infinitely have preferred, but I don't know if they're gender gated. Like, there was a kind of a uh, cool looking kilt that I thought, you know, like a kilt skirt thing. But I don't know if that was like gated to the female characters, and I, you know, you can't switch gender without it costing you more plunk bucks once uh, you've right. assigned your character and stuff like that. Did so it, I can't remember now. I did, I did play, and I did have a character. Do you make your character, or is it random? So I genuinely don't know because, like I say, I was just there with whatever Adam account. had. Uh, I feel like picked. I made my character. I might be wrong. I I think that you do to start with, but then once that's locked in, it's kind of like almost like um, you know, if yeah. you if you've locked to a region and you have to pay to move yeah. it to a different server or something. Um, so yeah, so that was that was an annoying thing. Although I did find out that as you move through a level, uh, move through the map when you're playing, you can also obviously loot things and take yeah. clothes off other people. So I ended up with like you know the the long coat and you know some goggles and things to offset the business elements of my, <laughs> of my outfit. So you know there were definitely. Highs, but I've also seen the awful, awful outfits that came as part of. I think there was like a Twitch tie-in, and it was just like, yeah. oh god, that's so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot of, and I don't really know whether, because obviously, if you go in with something that Liberace would have been happy to wear, then you you'll probably get picked off a mile away yeah. because you're encumbered by you know sparkly, you know encrustings of. <laughs> embellishments so maybe that's not the way forward either but <laughs> i can see it as like um you know the weird crapness of their clothes it makes a certain amount of sense really because um or it's almost the way i would uh want to approach it which is the game is massively successful already um mm. and so the question i want to answer is like what 
kind of thing can we make money from? Um, and so you don't really want to go all out on the first round of, of, uh, clothes. You don't want it to be crazy ostentatious stuff that could change the look of the game. You know, you don't want to go full TF2, for example, mm. um, where their items make really outlandish. And uh, Overwatch skins as well are, are really uh, massively different to the point that you sometimes just can't tell what class a character is. Mm. Um, and you don't want to do that for game design reasons, but also it's kind of, I think it's maybe a good sort of control case for um, for microtransactions to see, like, okay, if you will buy this shit, <laughs> then <laughs> this system is very promising. Mm. And when we start doing stuff that's actually good, um, it'll take off. Uh, but taking like a baby step towards it makes sense. I wonder if they'll do a workshop um, version. Because mm. yeah, because Counter Strike did a had a workshop, but like putting stuff in the workshop didn't let anyone else actually use it. It was sort of submitting it to Valve, really, or yeah. submitting it for public approval, and then if it got public approval, Valve would look at it and maybe put it in the game. Mm. Uh, but then if they did, you would get a cut of the profits from everyone buying and selling that thing, and that was huge. Yeah, and with Dota, there was a sort of it was a similar thing, but there were also some really interesting um, provisos because uh, I think they've it feels like they've become more lax with it over time. But um, there were definitely at the beginning a lot of restrictions on you must stick to the right color palette for this hero. You can't significantly mm. change their outline. You know, like yeah. there were a lot of things like that to factor into whatever you were doing. Um, but to be honest. I would I would argue that they don't really hold to that anymore because the amount of times I've tried to play a game and it's like, who even is that hero right now? Oh, it's that guy. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> or, you know, there's so many particle effects because of so many limited edition, like hyper, you know, collectible treasures that you're just like, I just, I can't even see the game for particle effects right yeah. now. So just it's calm it down. <laughs> Because Valve always have those rules, and they seem to break them later on. Because TF2, they made a huge deal about the silhouettes, right? And the silhouettes were how you mm. identify... You should be able to identify a class by its silhouette alone. So yeah. um, uh, there's never any stake. And then they, the cosmetic items drastically change the silhouette. Um, and I guess I mean, maybe they just do tests and they find, oh, this doesn't bother people or it doesn't... Um, or maybe they just do it problems. the other way around, you know, like they'll, if they like a thing enough, then they'll add it in. And if people complain, then they re, you know, yeah. reassess afterwards. But, um, I think with Overwatch, it might be less of an issue. I don't really play Overwatch anymore, so I wouldn't be able to speak to this from a player perspective. But I know that when I've been to design talks, they've spoken about, um, the many different ways that they tried to differentiate heroes. So you would have, um, it, it's not just their, um, their outline. It's things like their footfall. You're supposed to be able to tell the difference between different gait and different, you know, like, uh, I don't think I can. <laughs> I think you probably could with the more pronounced ones. So for example, yeah, road with, hog, yeah <laughs> or junk rat because of he's got a peg leg, right? <laughs> so, but it's supposed to be that you can, you can tell them apart in multiple different ways. So I would be interested in whether perhaps cosmetics factored into that. So it was less of a, less of a legibility issue but mm. but to be honest in plunk bat like anyone that isn't on voice comms with you is a legit target right <laughs> so <laughs> you're essentially um maybe it's just a case of you don't need to know who they are you just need to know that they're not with you yeah <laughs> yeah there aren't that many visibility problems with that there could be like art style problems i guess if they, if they go too outlandish with it, it might kind of spoil because that's quite a gritty feel it's pretty well, bleak. 
See, I really like Dallas's description of it, which is essentially it feels like the aftermath of a stag and hen weekend <laughs> abroad. Like, like everyone just like, you know. Falling uh, out of a plane. <laughs> Essentially. But, um, you know, just sort of waking up after a few days on the lash, um, you know, in a, in the middle of a, a stretch of farmland or whatever, and not really quite remembering what you did, but, you know, still being in your jeans and t-shirt from <laughs> the night before and needing to make your way back or like get the group across the wilderness or something. So I quite like that. This kind of bleak <laughs> stag do. <laughs> so yeah. Sounded fun. But then, and now they've added this camper van or whatever, the, the VW camper oh, thing. So you can just kind as of, a drivable vehicle. Yeah, there's a kind of the least lads, lads, lads <laughs> tour vehicle <laughs> for the lads, lads, lads. <laughs> it's like, sure. <laughs> so yeah, so I've played two games now, two ratches. <laughs> cool. Where did you land? Uh, sorry, that could be interpreted two ways in, in this game. Well. Uh, where did you end up on the scoreboard? <laughs> so in the first... Uh, match. I think we ended up about 36th, okay. which I don't know whether that's good or bad. It's not last. I know that. <laughs> I would say it's in the top, in the 36th percentile. Yeah. <laughs> and because my, um, something had glitched out. So I was actually seeing giant triangles like <laughs> beaming down from the sky. So I mean, again, like the next morning, <laughs> <laughs> not all was well on my end let's say. <laughs> and I had to crank the graphic settings right back down because it was just not happy with anything I was doing. And it was like juddering out to the point where I think I landed in a tree, but didn't find out about it until Alice <laughs> came and like checked on me. It was like, are you there? And she's going, yes. What are you? <laughs> so, well, I think so. <laughs> so that was good. And then I think the next one, we were about 40 something. But in that one, I had a gun, which is not what happened in the first one. I picked one up just as I was getting shot and then worked out ammo as I died. Um, but the second one, I actually exchanged fire with someone. Wow. Mm, unsuccessfully, but <laughs> <laughs> I want it on record that I shot at a person. <laughs> I kind of like how um, Battlegrounds gunfights uh, feel as shitty and nightmarish and horrible as real gunfights probably do like you're just getting hit from fucking who knows where and there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it and uh if you do manage to fight back it's because you get the jump on somebody and um yeah it's it's not like cinematic violence it's really just i guess like operation flashpoint and daisy <laughs> and um everything oh. that derives from that that See, lineage my one and only firefight was, it was a lot like, um, I think it's Police Academy where Frank <laughs> Drebin is like f exchanging fire with a ne'er-do-well and it turns out they're about three feet apart yeah. and they've managed to miss each other with the entire thing so then they just throw their guns at each other. <laughs> it was very much that level of, ep uh, you know, ineptitude. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good segue into XCOM. People <laughs> being really close to each other and not hitting each other. Excellent. <laughs> I actually don't have that problem as much as, as most people do. Um, I, I enjoy the, the running joke, but, uh, if, if I take a shot that's like 95%, I know it can miss. I'm not, when it does miss. Actually, no, I suppose there's two separate problems, isn't there? There's one, uh, one cliche about XCOM is like, oh, they missed the 99% shot, um, every time. Uh, and then the other cliche is, oh, they're one foot away, or they're point blank, and they got a 60% chance to hit. And that one does bother me, because, um, it feels like, in particular, 
Like certain weapons, I think, are actually penalised for being close. Because like like a sniper rifle, if someone's close enough, you sort of get a penalty for it. Mm. Um, and that also you know combines badly with the fact that any given chance can go against you, even if it's heavily in your favour. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm still playing it. I'm still playing War of the Chosen. I Steam says I played 175 hours of XCOM 2, and I think I've only played. I've only finished one campaign, and so this is my second campaign. Hmm. So campaigns take about 100 hours, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, I think, about 100 of that must be War of the Chosens. Uh, and the first one, XCOM 2, base game, is probably um, the 75. God, I played most of a campaign on PlayStation as well. So that's not even counted in that. <laughs> I've only played, like, 250 hours of XCOM uh, oh, 2. Wow. And I played XCOM 1 as well, and the expansion for that. Uh, I played a lot of XCOM. You got uh, a lot of value out of that XCOM. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's strange because in some ways this is the best it's ever been, um, and in some ways it's the worst it's ever been. <laughs> it's the uh, right now I'm kind of enjoying it less than I ever have before because mm. uh, this campaign is really dragging on. It's the expansion, and I've got all the DLC installed. And um, DLC actually, I'm not. Uh, there are missions relating to that, and I have those turned off, so I've just got the items for them. But uh, the Alien Rulers DLC, or Alien Hunters, I think the DLC is called, uh, adds these Alien Rulers who can show up on any mission, and they are like boss battles. And so you've got three of those boss battles, and then you've also got the Chosen, who are uh, not just boss battles, but like boss campaigns in and of themselves. Um, and so that's gone a long time. I focused on that initially, and then I now I'm getting around to like the normal campaign, which is the uh, Avatar project. Mm. and uh, there's so much stuff just happening all the time, interrupting everything you're trying to do, and then uh, it's really strange that the uh, to complete the main quest, there's just like four of... Uh, for one thing, there's a bunch of things you could just got to research, and so while you're researching those, you're not researching cool guns and armour. Uh, and then when you get the shadow chamber, that it's like the sort of plot room <laughs> and that does plot stuff, uh, all of your, all the things you have to do in that are essentially research projects that just take quite a long time, um, and you can't research anything else while you're doing them. And so it just means you just can't research anything for like, uh, about a month of game time. And that's just kind of boring. It just means you're not, nothing's changing in terms of like your, what stuff you have access to. It feels, as well as actually reducing the, uh, actual mechanical progression, it also just feels even worse than it really is because it's like you know you're delaying those things. You know you have these things to do, and the game's saying, "Nope, don't do those yet. Got to do this first. Like do your homework first before you get to have the fun." Uh, and there's just a lot of homework, <laughs> and so I actually I've rebelled against that and just I've done everything else first. So um, I've like got the top tier weapons and the top tier armor, and now I'm just now getting to like the early game research projects for the um, for the main quest. Um, and yeah, it's the thing that's. There are just a bunch of little consequences of all the things they've added. All the things they've added, well, pretty much all the things they've added are a good idea in and of themselves, but the whole sum total now is unwieldy. I talked before about how it's uh, overwhelming, you know, there's just so much stuff going on all the time. It sounds beyond bloated for a newcomer, like I would not pick up War of the Chosen <laughs> yeah. as a first. <laughs> yeah, it's also, I think it's just straight harder, like the, the it adds. Uh, so it has these bosses that are... Uh, very challenging and they can show up on any missions so the difficulty is very random uh, and the only benefit you get is that after you kill them you get their weapons and their weapons are incredibly powerful like they'll make a soldier twice as powerful basically 
Um, and so that's another weird thing where that means that it's a thing that makes the game harder at first and then easier when you win, mm. which is already the game's problem. <laughs> um, and then the other pr- problem is because, so those chosen add like three good sets of items, really good sets of items. Um, the Shen's last gift DLC adds three or four really good weapons, uh, which are unique. Um, and then the Alien Hunters DLC adds three really good suits of armor. And uh, the problem with all of this is that the game has actually it's got much better. The one one of the problems they really have solved is that is the problem of using the same squad in every mission. Um, they haven't quite solved the snowballing problem, which is related, but um, you know where the better you do, the easier it gets, and therefore the better you do, and therefore the easier it gets. Uh, and on the other side, the worse you do, the harder it gets, and the, therefore the worse you do. Um, but they have solved that. I no longer take the same same six people on every mission because, as well as the old thing where if they're wounded, they have to be benched, they also can get tired and then you have to bench them. And sometimes there's a covert op that requires someone of, like, major rank, and that's going to be one of your best guys no matter what. And you've got to send them on this mission, and while they're away on that mission, they can't be in any um, actual missions. And so I now do change the people around all the time, which is good. But <laughs> combine that with the fact that there's this one set of incredibly good gear. There's basically six loadouts that are really, really powerful. And uh, every time I deploy a squad, it's different people. The good equipment is on the other people who are benched. And the only way to transfer it is to go through each thing and like manually press a button to sort of release all accessory items and then go and equip the accessory ones you want. And then... So let's say like the medkit is on someone else and you're equipping a specialist, so you release the medkit and then you put the medkit on the specialist and then you go to the next person, you also want to use some utility items on that person and some of those utility items are in use, they're back in use again, even though you just did the thing to free them all up. Any ones that you don't equip then go back to the people they're already on, so you've got to keep re-freeing them again and again. There's three different classes of items you've got to do that for and you've got to do that on every soldier and that the interface for it is just bad. Like, Like It's pretty easy to to think of a better one um and it's such a hassle and there's also there's enough decision making in it that you can't sort of do it totally on autopilot you've got to actually think about oh but do i want to give the crossbow to this person because my my squad's not just this it's not just like a specialist a sniper a assault guy um this time it's like we're not going to take any snipers we're just going to take um grenadiers so which loadout do we want um so there's enough thinking in it that you can't autopilot but it's not really interesting it's always going to be we just want the best stuff. The best stuff we have, put it on these people in some order that makes some kind of sense. And like every now and then I might have a, a sort of an opinion about, oh, I think I want the acid grenade on this person because they have a bonus that affects it. But there isn't enough of that stuff to make it interesting. And there's so much faff there. And it happens before every single mission because you're always changing your troops. And it's almost killing the game for me. I just like every time I get to that screen now, I just save and I quit and I just have to do something else for a while. <laughs> and then yeah. when I come back and I feel like playing XCOM again, because I do love XCOM. Um, I'll have enough energy to go through that process, but it's crazy because that's like, that feels solvable. Uh, and it's just a sort of, like, it's definitely a kind of design problem I can imagine not foreseeing all yeah. the decisions that led to it made sense. It's cool to add new items. It's, it makes sense. There's only one of them. It makes sense that you, you know, you can transfer it between people. Uh, the sort of, if I was being like, I would be tempted if I was making a game like this to lock equipment to soldiers, which makes no sense at all. But it would mean there's none of this faffing because yeah. you just can't do it. If you decided to give that cool item to that soldier, that's their thing now. And maybe they're like, you know, it starts as a standard, like, standard item, but they kind of like 
get good with it and that's why it's a good item now and so that's why you can't transfer it to other people and um but like anything to get out of this just endless <laughs> equipping and unequipping and re-equipping do you know whether um the developers are thinking of changing anything on that front have they acknowledged that maybe it's a problem or is it a thing that enough people are I haven't really heard the equipment complaint uh, anywhere hmm. i was watching today um chris bratt's interview with jake solomon at egx um hmm. which is online now um and that's really interesting uh but it's all about it's about the design problems they did solve you know it's like uh it's the journey towards arriving at xcom enemy unknown which is the previous game to this one um I'm sort of assuming that this is the end of XCOM 2. Uh, nothing in the game says that, but uh, it's just that I think for XCOM 1, they did one, they did some DLC, they did one big expansion, and then they moved on. Mm. And they've done one big expansion now, so uh, maybe they will. I kind of hope they do, because I don't think the way forward is to add stuff to XCOM 2, and you can't really take stuff away. Like, people won't accept yeah. it if you say, we're removing this feature. <laughs> it's interesting because from everything that you've said, like it sounds like the interstitial stuff is the problem. Like if that was slimmed down or yeah. if it sounds like there's a really uneasy tension between the things that you have to do, but also there are a few things that you don't have to do, but would be nice to do. And it, you're never quite free to actually do make those meaningful choices. You know, you know you need to research this thing. You know you need to upgrade that thing. You know you need this room or that thing or whatever. And so it's always this unsatisfyingly linear thing where all you're really doing is choosing between the things that you know you need to do next rather than making yeah. a meaningful thing. And, and it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like those bits between missions are the parts where it, really chafes or it isn't working particularly yeah, like definitely. if you've got to just dip into the next one or move along that would just be so much you know like i think people who like xcom want to play more xcom so that's never the problem even if it's a hard as balls mission <laughs> it's like sure let me have another crack at it yeah <laughs> i am i will say i'm getting much more um attached to my people it's really you know everyone's a, a colonel now which is the highest rank you can get to and am i still alive uh yeah uh, you're not a colonel actually you're quite new because <laughs> uh, i only added you after uh, not the last podcast but i think oh yeah after i was like so you were the next newbie who came along um, <laughs> and then uh, chris tried to kill me with a knife <laughs> yeah so uh, you can read the full story of chris and pip's uh, remarkable debut into my xcom game on my blog um uh yeah Chris uh, was mind-controlled and tried to kill Pip. <laughs> Pip ran as far away as she could from Chris. Chris still spent his entire turn chasing her down, even though there were plenty of closer targets. Um, and joke's on him, though, because he got captured at the end of that mission um, in yeah. a really awkward situation, and you didn't. Um, we haven't had the chance to rescue him yet, but uh, the other guy, well, one of the other people who got captured in that mission, <laughs> there were a few casualties in that mission, um, Asher Volmer, creator of Threes. <laughs> Uh, after creating threes, he decided to wear a giant blue snake suit and smoke a cigar. Um, and while doing that on a mission, he was we had to kind of abandon him. He was the one who could have got out, um, but only he would have escaped. And then we found a new strategy that involved leaving him behind but rescuing three other people, including you, Pip. Um, and just recently, we got the chance to rescue Asher. So Asher's back now. Um, oh, nice. And more importantly, the cool snake suit he's wearing is back. <laughs> 
Um, I'm just going to put this out there. Let's not worry about Chris. <laughs> He'll probably be fine. <laughs> it's it's very strange because I, I don't think I've ever had the chance to rescue someone before in 175 hours of playing. And oh, then I got wow. two in the same day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, one was Asher and um, the other was Jane. Uh, so, yeah, we haven't had the chance to rescue Chris yet. Um, if it comes up, I'll do it. Because... <laughs> Uh, I won't get out of my way. <laughs> Shall I leave you behind on that mission? <laughs> like, eh, I don't know. I'm not that invested, really. <laughs> oh. um, my favourite uh, soldier is Amanda, who is our Templar, and Templar is like a sort of psionic melee warrior. Mm. And are they the ones with the white hair? Uh, that, no, that's no, the psyops people. Yeah. Um, and Amanda has the Templar is a melee class, and you have the chance to get some skills from the normal XCOM skill trees as well. And the one you happen to get was Bladestorm, and that means she can get free attacks on anyone who comes close to her. Um, and as she kills, or as she does more attacks with her like uh, magic sword fists, um, <laughs> they gain in damage, and that also affects Bladestorm, so that her free attacks do more damage. Um, and I've just recently got, uh, she will like, uh, she has an amazing sequence of abilities because she can like fire her pistol without ending her turn, then run at the person she just shot and stab them. <laughs> and then stabbing them increases her stab damage and also gives her a parry ability that she can use at that same turn, which protects her from the next attack. Mm. And then when that person on their turn tries to attack her, they both get parried and she gets bladestorm on them. So she gets to stab them again. <laughs> And now I've just uh, now that she's colonel, uh, I've got access to her top tier abilities, and the one I chose is ghost, which means after we kill the humanoid target, if she has two focus, she can raise a ghost out of them, and the ghost is a clone of her, and it just lasts until it runs out of focus, like it can, uh, and it's it can spend focus on the same spells she can. Um, it doesn't have a pistol, interestingly, but that's it's it. Because it's a ghost, Tom. <laughs> Ghosts can't wield guns. <laughs> I, I well also don't think they can stab people, but uh, she can stab people, and she gets blade storm, so she gets huh. she gets all those other like perks that Amanda has. And so we had a, a mission where like we're on our way out. They've called reinforcements. Reinforcements are going to land cl- close to our evac zone. Most of us can reach the evac zone, but. Uh, one person can't, so we can't leave just yet. Uh, if that's going to happen, I leave everyone behind because I want them to be able to provide covering fire and stuff. And you see exactly where the reinforcement is going to come down. And Amanda and her ghost both had moves free. And so I just stood them both next to the flare where the people are going to land. So there's two uh, people, both of whom have Bladestorm, right where those people <laughs> land. And you get this whole cutscene of like when they, they rope down from their dropship and... They look around and they point orders and they look all business-like and stuff. And uh, while that cutscene's going on, you can see like this glowing purple ghost and Amanda just standing there with their <laughs> knives, like, waiting. Um, and as soon as they take their turn, suddenly it's like just like blaze storm, blaze storm, blaze storm, blaze storm. Um, but one of them was a purifier, and the purifiers can explode on death. And like right after I set them there and I finished my turn, I suddenly thought, oh god, what if there's a purifier? Because they're going to kill it, and they're going to kill it. Like, the ghost dying doesn't matter, but Amanda dying would be terrible. Um, and also, there's quite a lot of friendlies around there. And there was a purifier. We killed everything except the purifier, and we got the purifier down to, like, two health. 
and he just <laughs> just ran and threw himself through a window. <laughs> like we're on a roof, and there's like a another roof higher up, so there's like a window in front of us. And he just threw himself through that window and landed like on the ground floor. I think I think he's just looking for cover or something. But fictionally, okay. I like to think he's just like all my friends just got knifed to death instantly. <laughs> I'm nearly dead. I'm just gonna run. Um, and that was great because everyone got everyone else got to evac, but the ghost is like an apparition. It can't actually come with us. I don't know if it can. It come with us? I haven't tried. <laughs> I don't think it matters if it comes with us because she can make a new one. Um, and so he like that's she. It is just left. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what happens to it. And so normally we wouldn't really bother to stop and kill an enemy left behind just for the hell of it, because it would delay the whole thing a turn and we might, there might be more reinforcements or whatever. Um, so everyone else left and I just sent the ghost down to just stab this purifier, knowing full well it might blow up and, and destroy her. Um, and yeah, just finish him off. So that poor guy <laughs> threw himself through a window and was cowering down there. Everyone else leaves and the psychic ghost is just left behind. It's like, it's just you and me now. <laughs> oh god. But see, this is what I mean about you and me being opposites with games, because you've set up all of these amazing interactions and chain reactions and loadouts and whatever else, and I would just be running away from people with knives. That's just, that's not even like an in-game character thing. That's just, that's my MO with this stuff. It's like, do you know what? I'll leave this for someone else, because I don't want to deal with these alien interlopers or whatever. Nope. <laughs> Um, the other cool thing that happened was we were fighting an alien ruler and they are, uh, they're more powerful than the chosen actually. Um, they have an insane amount of health, um, like sort of four or five times what a, a tough enemy would normally have. And the idea is you attack them and you do some damage to them, but they probably escape the first time you fight them because they all, as soon as they take some damage, they'll, um, create a portal and go towards it. Are they kind and of bullet spongy? Yeah, a little bit, but also every, t- everything you do gives them a free move. So okay. every time you attack them, they get to move a bit closer to that portal, and the portal's really close, so they just get out. Um, and so you never really kill them on, the, on your first encounter, but that damage you do to them is persistent. So next time you fight them, they'll have that same health lost. Um, so I'd done a couple of those, and it had been like two or three fights usually before we kill them. And then we fought the last one was the Archon King, and he's like a flying dude. And they're incredibly hard to hit. They're always dodging shots. And so you get like one or two damage instead of 10 or 12 damage on them. Um, and uh, it had this crazy health bar, like 35 hit points or something. Uh, the first time countering it, it's also, you know, can fly. It's incredibly fast, incredibly hard to hit. We have no chance of, of taking this out in our first go. Um, and Amanda's, Amanda's discovered it. She's the one who's like aggroed it. She went on ahead because she's mellow. She would. <laughs> Because she's a melee, I kind of use her often to, to go ahead first because she needs to be close to the enemies anyway. Um, is she someone based on someone you know in real life? Yeah, um, uh, Amanda Williams, who um, uh, used to work at Tiger Style, who did Mars... Waking Mars. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Spider, right to the Shrouded Moon. Oh. Saying that right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so she's she discovers the Archon King. The Archon King gets one move. Um, and, uh, doesn't like kill her or anything. Um, and so she's in a position where she could like stab it or something, uh, but it's not going to do a huge amount of good. And, um, the real problem is no one else is nearby. Like no one else has a shot on it. Um, and so, uh, she uses one of her moves to run back to everybody else. And then she uses her other move to swap with him because she has a, a move called invert that just means she can change places with an enemy. 
So basically, she gets into line of fire with all of our friends, and then she switches to the Archon King, so now the Archon King is in line of fire with all our friends. And then Mike Cook, a uh, friend of the podcast, <laughs> who is our skirmisher, um, uh, he... Uh, just have him take a shot at it. Um, oh, by doing this, of course, like the Archon King gets a free action, and his free action is to soar up into the sky like 100 feet and summon... Um, I think it's called Devastation. <laughs> and it's just like marks like four of us uh, with basically artillery that's going to land on that's us next terrible. turn. Um, and uh, Mike takes a shot at him. Mike has a thing on his gun called a repeater, which I'd completely forgotten about. Basically, Mike fires him and it just says, Executed. Archon <laughs> <laughs> King just fucking dies. Wow. <laughs> just straight up, one shot. as our first attack against him just outright <laughs> kills him from full health. Because Mike has a device on his gun that gives him like a 15% chance to just outright kill whatever he shoots at. Oh my god. And there's just... Really, um, impressively, there's no exception for bosses or anything. It's just whoever you fucking shoot, they fucking die. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was great because the, the thing Amanda did was really clever. And the thing Mike did took no skill or or, or anything. <laughs> but I got to feel like my clever thing paid off because yeah. <laughs> it did. It just completely outright killed this thing. And now we're wearing its skin. Because <laughs> that's how it works with the alien runes. You get to wear their skin afterwards. So that ridiculous snake suit, that's one of the other alien runes we killed. Um, and then this one is a suit that lets you basically teleport. Like you, you fly up into the sky and land where you want to go, but there's no restrictions on it. So you can just go okay. anywhere. Huh. And that's awesome. <laughs> so XCOM, bad and good. <laughs> nice. It's my verdict. It's a good job I don't review games anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty much all games. It's like, well, if you like this kind of thing, you'll like it. There's some positives, maybe a few negatives. <laughs> yep, that's, that's more or less it. Expect more of this in PC game. <laughs> all the PC gamer listening to this like, oh my God. <laughs> she has no idea what she's doing. Seventy. <laughs> that's a thing. That's a number. <laughs> that's going to be a thing. Actually, it's like trying to remember how to assign numbers. Oh yeah, to I scores. don't have those up yet. Assign numbers to score. Assign scores to reviews. Rather, <laughs> I can assign numbers to scores. <laughs> that seventy looks like about a seventy to me. <sighs> We had, um, we did have a thing, uh, which was RPS recommends, where we would, if we remembered, we would stick, um, an <laughs> oh RPS recommends sticker onto the header image of a thing, and that would mean that we really liked it and thought you might really like it as well. But that was also really arbitrary. It was essentially like, this is good, <laughs> but like, better than other things in some way. <laughs> That's an awkward one to, like, if you have a scoring system, um, then there's no ambiguity. But if you have an award you give for things you like, but then you don't always give it, even if you do like the thing, <laughs> then those people have to assume, like, oh, I guess they didn't think it was recommended. Hmm. <laughs> it's weird, though, isn't it? Because it's essentially like, if you're on RPS, you presumably know that things get done when <laughs> they are remembered and not a moment sooner. <laughs> yeah. Shall we do some questions? Yes. Uh... Frog writes. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Uh, Dear Ink Stamp and Bottle Bar, a few years ago I realised I lived just close enough to London that I could go there to see a gig after work and just catch the last train home. My slightly obscure music tastes have led me to a few small venues where I've seen some of my favourite bands play to small passionate crowds. It's a euphoric feeling, suddenly being in a room full of people who love the thing that you do, um, when up until that point I'd never met anyone who did. 
How do you think I can get this feeling for the games I love? What is the gaming equivalent of a gig? Thanks for thanks all for a great pod, and extra thanks to Tom and Chris for the Bloodborne videos. Well, they're not here, so thanks denied. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's brutal. <laughs> but we will accept those thanks. <laughs> Um, eSports, uh, they are amazing for exactly that. I mean, obviously, if the game that you happen to be super into is the opposite end of that <laughs> spectrum, then that's maybe a problem. Um, but I would say definitely if, if you are into the competitive uh, multiplayer PvP type stuff... Um, or even if you're not, I think it's really lovely going along to eSports <laughs> things. Like... Um, a couple of my friends who work on One Life Left went along to, um, I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been maybe a Counter-Strike thing. I can't remember. Um, but they went along to an esports event having that, that not be their area of expertise. And it's still, it's an amazing environment to be in and you get caught up in the emotion of the thing and the, the humanity of, you know, the, the, just the interactions. It's people who want to do well at a thing trying to do the best of the people up on stage, you know, and it's this really lovely thing. And also, um, as somebody who plays League of Legends and Dota and things. The only other people that I know who play League um, are actually other games journalists. And even then, we don't really play together. And so going to those events was really eye-opening because obviously it's like this massive game and it's got such a huge player base, but none of those people are, are people I know in real life, really. And so it was just really nice going along and everybody being on the same page suddenly and not needing to explain, oh, well, that's this hero and or champion, rather, and, like, they do this and that's why we're excited about this thing. Like, everyone was just actually, like, in the moment and excited about the things. So mm. that was really lovely. Yeah, I think that's a better answer than what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, my first thought was just, like talks by game developers um mm. you know if you like if i'm a big enough fan of a game then that's a thing that um it does not have the energy of a gig at all it's just <laughs> uh a live thing that you do that uh where a lot of the people in, the, in that room with you will be people who are also really interested in that game um and yeah but it basically just kind of reminded me of gdc like <laughs> for me gdc is is that um and that's not just the talks but also you know uh parties and stuff where just like for that one week there's an incredible concentration of all like mm. um all the people around the world who share my interests and they're all in one place for once and it's amazing it's like living in this weird fantasy land where everybody likes the same things you do i think there's a critical mass with gdc and you get it a little bit at things like egx or at rest or whatever because there are panels and there are, you know, dev talks and things like that. But um, so if you can get along to stuff like that or if you can get along to a LAN event like the Insomnia Lands, um, mm. you know, things like that might be cool. Um, Jake Tucker runs Video Brains in London, which is like it, it's in a pub uh, in North London, or at least it was last time I was able to go and check in with it. Um and that's just a bunch of interesting people doing talks about things. Um, I gave one about uh, Dota and fashion 
um <laughs> and how like living games are kind of have almost like a fashion industry type cycle to them in some ways um uh and that's just quite a nice space because i know a bunch of people who went along to those who weren't actually you know in the industry but just wanted to be with similar people who were interested in that side of things um so that was really cool um I'm trying to think also, there's something um, else, but for StarCraft there's uh Barcrafts. Yeah, there's <laughs> where a bar shows. Pub stumps in Dota. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was gonna ask actually if there's a Dota equivalent. I, I guess there would be. Mm. Um Yeah. So that's quite because that like actually sports events are I suppose these days there are a lot of regional ones. Um Yeah. But uh in a more like thing to go to after work <laughs> I imagine uh, a, a barcraft or pub stomp would be more I think right. certainly when um, a big event like for example the uh, the international for Dota rolls around they usually list out a bunch of you know uh, viewing parties that they know about on the website you know there's options for you to search stuff like that and I think League of Legends has like a similar thing. I think, you know, people have viewing parties or whatever. Mm. So that is stuff that you can, that you can keep an eye on, I guess. So yeah. Um. Oh, and awesome games done quick, stuff like that is oh, yeah. cool. Like, so sort of Twitch streamed stuff that gets a bit of a, community um mentality behind it i remember as well you know it's not gaming but the the bob ross stream the first time around (laughs) that was amazing (laughs) like it was just this really lovely thing and kind of ridiculous because it overlaid twitch chat ridiculousness over bob ross (laughs) (laughs) which is just awesome um let me just check something about this next question. What I've done is I pasted in the questions and I pasted in the actual name of the person who sent it to us, but I didn't paste in what they actually signed the email off as. And in cases where someone might not have signed it with the same name as <laughs> what they said in the title, <laughs> I don't want to read the wrong name. Okay. Um, James writes, uh, not a question, but just a quick heads up that the finest example of a busman's holiday is Tom Francis taking a break from developing heat signature and creating Morphblade. Uh, and then he says some nice things about Morphblade, which I won't repeat. <laughs> um, uh, busman's holiday was a phrase that I, another question I mentioned and I didn't know what it was. Um, and it's funny that I... <laughs> you did one! <laughs> yep, I had a busman's holiday. That sounds pretty fair assessment. Um... And then this question uh, is actually from Frog again, <laughs> um, but it's a good one. Uh, when I check out someone's profile on Steam, I always look at the games they own and sort them by playtime so I can get 100% totally reliable insight into who they are as a person. Uh, given that everyone does the same, uh, for which games would you like to swap the playtime shown to a potential onlooker? Personally, I would move the 283 hours I have uh, on Football Manager 2011 and 2012 and share it between a few games, including Her Story, To the Moon, and Tacoma, that deserve to be much higher on my list. Keep up the fine podding and the excellent Bloodborne vids. Uh, so we brought up each other's profiles. <laughs> I must say, I have never done this for anyone else. <laughs> like I've done it for myself once um, to answer a question on the RPS podcast, I think. Adam was asking, so I knew what my top three were. But you didn't. <laughs> oh, no. Um 
yeah, I can ask you questions about this. Okay, so, uh, would you be surprised to learn that your most played game is one called, uh, Dota 2, I think? Oh! <laughs> no, I must have just left that running. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, Adventure Capitalist. Which yeah. I've, I've heard of a lot, but I actually don't know anything about it. Uh, I thought it was a mobile game. Oh, okay. So, mm, so Adventure Capitalist is actually a clicker game, Mm. but, um, because I went through a phase of being obsessed by it, um, I, so what you do is you, um, you start off by clicking on a thing to generate, you know, obviously the revenue from producing that thing or fulfilling that task or whatever but then as you accumulate a bit of money you get to automate that to a certain degree and then the next thing opens up and blah 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 and it got to the point where I was making a ridiculous amount of money but um I was so into keeping the ball rolling that I wanted to keep it open so that every time a new upgrade was available I would be able to (laughs) be there to make that happen and so what that ended up being is that isn't really playtime it's more that I had it running in the background and would check in on it when I was between news stories or something yeah so I actually do that a lot and so a lot of my playtimes are wrong but for XCOM, I don't think I did do that much because XCOM just puts my graphics card on max. It's just absolutely <laughs> like full burn. Oh, wow. And so I don't think I would have left that running in the background a lot. Um, so it's 175 hours, probably real. Well, so uh, firstly, it's 181 hours actually, <laughs> okay. I think That's you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, would it surprise you to know that that is your fourth most played thing um, on Steam. I haven't looked at this list in a long time, so I, I, what I remember is that Supreme Commander 2 is really high up. Uh, That's fixed. Despite not being that fresh in my memory. Like, I, I remember <laughs> playing it at lunchtime every day for a long time, but I didn't really think of it as nothing like as, as big as Supreme Commander 1 for me. Mm. Okay, so number one is Game Maker, right? Yeah, <laughs> although upsettingly, um, in the time that apparently it has taken you to make, what, two games, I have, you know, like, I, I could basically, I, I, I've got 2,000 hours or something in yep. Dota, right? You've got 5,000 hours in Game Maker. <laughs> I could have done something with my life. One of the biggest games. <laughs> Uh, so to, to reassure you, I actually, uh, maybe a year ago switched from using Game Maker on Steam to using it off Steam. So, oh, okay. uh, at least a thousand hours would, would not be on there. <laughs> Thank um, goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's two games between that and XCOM 2. Okay. Um, uh, ah, so way back in the day, Team Fortress 2 was a big deal, but I think I'm only have like, 200 hours in that and Skyrim must be at least 200 um so Spelunky might be up there I want to say Skyrim for number two Mm-mm-mm. Skyrim's even further down oh my god uh <laughs> uh you've got 313 hours in this one if uh, if that rings any bells <laughs> if there's something in your internal clock that no, you don't have to remind me. Metal Gear Solid Five. Oh right. Mm. Oh, that's another interesting one because I played that all in one—not uh, in one session, but um, <laughs> uh, in one <laughs> wow. burst. Like I just 
you know, something like Game Maker and Spelunky and Skyrim and all those other things I dipped in and out of over the course of like five, ten years. Whereas Metal Gear Solid, I started playing it, and then when I stopped playing it, I stopped playing it forever. Spelunky doesn't even make your top ten. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So it goes Game Maker, MGS5, uh, Team Fortress 2, XCOM 2, Supreme Commander 2, you like your twos, <laughs> <laughs> Invisible Ink, mm. uh, Skyrim. I'm glad that's higher. Fallout that's actually, 4. That was going to be my answer to the question, is to put Invisible Ink higher, but actually it's pretty high. Mm. Fallout 4, um, Far Cry Primal, and XCOM Enemy Unknown. <laughs> You've also got more than 100 hours on Dishonored 2 and Big Pharma. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, Dishonored 2, I think I did leave that in the background quite a lot. Um, that was an alt-tabby game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. So, any of right, those so, switch out? Uh, oh, yeah. So, um, I guess, yes, Blunky should be way higher. It should be... Um, you might just want to leave that on for a while. Just to keep <laughs> the result. <laughs> I mean, I so I played that before. It was on Steam for at least a thousand lives, and then when it the version that is now on Steam came out first on Xbox, so I played it for about a thousand oh, yeah, lives there. And then, but that said, Daily Challenge was only on the PC Steam version, and I mm. played that a hell of a lot. So I'm surprised it's not higher. Yeah, Thing is, I played the Daily Challenge quite a lot, but the uh, the fact that I didn't survive <laughs> more than a minute on yeah, most guess, of those playthroughs. Uh, yeah, my runs also did not last more than half an hour each. Um, uh, okay, so you're three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to take any guesses? Um, I know that No Man's Sky is on there. Mm-hmm. Um, is that three? Uh, I'll tell you Subnautica is maybe okay. on there. Subnautica and No Man's Sky are three and four, but in yeah. which order? Um, oh. <laughs> it's close, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think... I feel like No Man's Sky is possibly higher. Yep, you're right. 76 in that, <laughs> 71 in Subnautica. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then your yeah. next most played game? This is a surprise to me. Oh, God. Uh, ooh, what else do I play? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I'm drawing a blank. Um, uh, to some extent, this is very biased towards games that just take a long time to play, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I love Metal Gear Solid 5, but it's not in my top five games. It just I took a long time know. to play. <laughs> yeah, like, what is it? I, I'm completely... Counter-Strike Go. Oh, okay. oh, that's peer pressure. That is <laughs> peer pressure. I watch a lot more Counter-Strike Go than I do play it. Like, right. I just, I'm no good at it. Do you watch it, like, in the client? No, um, this is entirely because it was a good way to keep up with some friends. So we uh, were right. just, like, essentially we would put on a Jason Derulo playlist <laughs> and um, play Gun Game for, like, four hours a night. And so, like, it wasn't a case of actually playing Counter-Strike. It was more having it as, like, a a thing that you could do in the background of chatting. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah. <laughs> I um, bet everything else is quite low in terms of playtime. Uh, yeah, so that was 56, Counter-Strike. And then there's one that's very close to that. Any hmm. guesses? Um, is it another PvP thing? No. Huh. Simple there. We've oh. talked about it not that long ago. Oh, Rogue Islands? Nope. Long Dark. Oh, okay. That'll be that fucking bear. <laughs> 54 hours against the bear. <laughs> Take down that bear. I finally did it in the end, by the way. <laughs> Got no shoes left except for the one pair that I now carefully take <laughs> off every time I have to fight something. 
uh, and then it's Slime Rancher, and then yes. after that, what was your what was your next favorite game after all of those? <laughs> it's just something the dreadful and shameful. The one you love so much. Oh, Can't God. stop talking about how much you love this game. God, oh, so I'm clearly scathing about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> which games do I not like? I mean, because the I mean Hearthstone is really annoying, but that's on Battle.net, so you'll get hide nor hair of that one <laughs> on this chart. No. <laughs> no, what have I got? Battleborn. Oh, that was that <laughs> review. Do you know what though? It's possibly been pushed up significantly by the fact that I tried to play it fairly recently for a couple of the um the updates that they said had changed it significantly and I queued for ages to try and find games like it had um queue times of like approaching 20 minutes for a single match and like <laughs> just trying to grind up through levels to get to, like, a particular level cap was punishing. <laughs> that was a fun game. Mm. Okay. I don't know what I'd change. I mean, obviously, the Battleborn thing is possibly not representative of my opinions <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that, wasn't it? about games. Um, but obviously, like, it shows that I gave that game more than a fair crack of the whip, <laughs> right? <laughs> I... I Paid my dues. <laughs> Probably Adventure Capitalist as well, but I don't, it's one of those weird things where like someone would look at that list and maybe think, oh, I know what you do with your time, and it's like, actually, no, because you don't know that I was watching Holby City while I was playing <laughs> Adventure yeah. Capitalist. <laughs> yeah, to buy a games that take a long time, it's buy a games that you can all tab out from safely. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the other thing is, if I plonked all of those hours into, like, a tiny indie game that I thought made me look better to random people on Steam, then they might just look at that and go, why did it take her 45 <laughs> hours to complete the easiest game in the universe? What was she doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, Sam writes... Um, I wonder what Chris's are. I'm going to look those up. Yeah, but maybe on the next part we should. Uh, as we long should as they go back to this. Yeah, as long as they don't look theirs up in the meantime. Yeah. We should grill them on it. <laughs> Chris and Tom. Sam writes, "Dear Coretta Fox and Chance Vega." And as soon as I read this, I knew those are heat signature names. I've <laughs> never had those heat signature names, but I can tell they're heat signature names. Uh, now that Heatseek is released, I'd like to thank you for the many development vlogs you made throughout the project. Um, as a game dev myself, I found them very interesting and something that game devs and studios rarely seem to show day-to-day -day design decisions and considerations. My question is, which game mechanic would you like to, would you most like to watch a devlog for? Uh, preferably by the designer of the feature who is wearing a t-shirt and jeans whilst recording in their kitchen. Best of luck with whatsoever the next. Sam. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this today because, uh, like I said, I was watching that uh, interview with Jake Solomon about XCOM and uh, having come off playing XCOM um, and being quite frustrated with the Geoscape. He actually says that um, uh, he shows an early version of the Geoscape, and, which is based on the uh, board game Pandemic. And he's showing it in the context of like, oh, God, look at how awful this is. Thank God we ditched that. And I'm looking at it thinking... I'd like that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, like, it wasn't working. I don't know why it wasn't working. I'm sure there's legit reasons. Uh, but he says the way he solved that problem was to go into Sid Meier's office and, and sit down with him and say, like, how can we get this to work? And they figured out something together and they made a paper prototype, paper prototype of it and played that, you know, physically, um, and figured it out that way. 
but I don't like it. <laughs> and so <laughs> I would like to see a devlog about what that process was like or why. Yeah. In particular, my perception of it, and maybe this is not the intent, but to me it, it's like there's a whole load of things dotted around the globe and you fly to them and each one takes time. And like it's all scanning for some reason. Everything you achieve, everything we're scanning, including picking up your monthly pay, um, and that takes time. And then everything else has to interrupt that. Like all the other events and things that can happen in the game interrupt you scanning things. So you start scanning something. Sometimes as soon as you get there, it's just like immediately no pop up screen. No, you got to do this now, and you go off and do a tactical mission. And for me, like one of my objectives with the strategic mode for a game that has like a strategic mode and a tactical mode, one of the objectives for the strategic mode would be like don't make the other mode feel like a pain in the ass. <laughs> like, just get out of its way and make that feel like a cool thing. Like, I would always want the tactical mode to be a bonus. Like, oh, cool, I get to do this. But instead, it's like, you're trying to do this in the video escape. And it's like, nope, you can't do that. You've got to do this first. And you're like, ah, oh, but I was in the, right in the middle of that. Like, the, the key consideration for me would be like, don't make it interrupt the other mode. Make it, you finish that. And then at the end of that, we trigger the next mission or whatever. And mm. then, uh, like, give, give me a tactical mission when I want to break from the strategic thing rather than when I'm, starting to get interested in it so there must have been a reason they did it that way that's it's obviously a very intentional thing and i'd like to know why why they wanted it that way mm. yeah i think so i have i now have three points that i'm trying to juggle in my head with the amount <laughs> of gin and tonic that we've had <laughs> so this could be interesting and it might end up just being one point when i forget the others <laughs> but so the first and obviously the most important thing is that i in the context of you just talking about him then and him having an actual office I have now had to remember that Sid Meier is not a pirate <laughs> like in my head Sid Meier's pirates like I think I truncated that to Sid Meier's is, is pirates pirate. <laughs> and it's just like do you know what sure a possessive of <laughs> like, I just I think in my head I've just been like sure that man's a pirate <laughs> and he is pirating at sea it's fine <laughs> so Dick Allen sure. rode his boat over to <laughs> Sid Meier's main ship and then he got into the captain's cabin and they made a board game prototype together exactly like what is wrong with that but then you're all like oh he's got a novice and I'm going wait what <laughs> anyway so that was point one <laughs> point is two is he also Gettysburg <laughs> no because I haven't played that <laughs> so I'm fine with just the pirate um so the second point is that there was actually a really interesting Twitter thread recently um, and I cannot for the life of me remember uh, the right name so I'm just going to assume that we will look it up and post a link uh, when we put the show notes up but um, it was someone essentially getting into the problems of talking openly about game development decisions ah, yes. online and how contentious it is and how Charles Randall, I think. Yes. Um, and how you're essentially just opening yourself up to abuse or, you know, like it's such a polarized, um, landscape and so toxic that actually being able to talk about anything like even beyond just marketing and NDA restrictions you just end up not wanting to because of how awful it can suddenly be or how yeah. you know it's like it's it's not a forgiving space in which to speak yeah people misinterpret and they bring their own assumptions to it and uh, any decision you can make can be seen negatively mm. i've been really lucky with this um uh, you know, I do these dev vlogs and I kind of, I feel like I do them in this private corner of the internet where there's, you know, a few hundred people, um, 
who follow me and who just like them and they they've just sort of signed up for it like they want this specific thing and they're on board with it and so the reaction i get is always uniformly positive and no one does call me out on things um mm. i'm sure i've said i mean for one thing I've, i'm sure i've talked about loads of features in those devlogs that are not in his signature and so if you if i if i was the representative of a game um as big as i mean xcom for example um uh, talking about that stuff before release and then not having it in the final game would be a, a huge controversy and people would be furious at me um, for it. And I just have this very privileged position where I'm uh, small enough that I don't get that much attention. Um, I don't get that kind of attention where people like, there's an angry mob um, looking for any mistakes in anything I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my audience is big enough that I do get responses to those devlogs. I'm not shouting into the void. People do respond to them and I, I get a nice response. I guess I, I should be worried about ever <laughs> getting any bigger, you know, like the <laughs> size I'm at is, is just right for this. Mm. Um, but also I'm, uh, I am 95% sure that if I was a woman, I would not get this level of positivity. There would just be like, I'm sure all of the people who are nice to me now would still be nice to me, but I just get a whole bunch of like, extra people who would show up to decide that I'm wrong about X and I'm an idiot and unqualified and all this stuff, other stuff. Or um, the phrasings of how people speak to you are different. Like, do you remember the, I mean, it ended up going viral, so probably everyone has seen it, but the thing where the guy, uh, there was a man and a woman who worked at the same firm and they just traded their signatures on really? emails. And the guy, as soon as he started using his female colleague's name, like there was a significant uptick in being patronizing and being oh, talked God. over and having to make the same point again and again, having to sort of, I think, CC, faux CC in like <laughs> the dude to get like, you know, it was, it was an interesting one. So maybe like, uh, we should probably link to that as well, just in case it's an interesting thing. I mean, obviously it's a, you know, one person's thing, but it chimes with so much of anyone's experience on the internet uh or rather mine um <laughs> in some very specific ways um the other thing that i was going to say the third point before it slithers away into the into the bubbling ether is um the the fact that these things that uh, come into my head i'm in the privileged position of being one of the people that gets to ask those questions and so if i'm wondering what was behind a specific decision or why the artwork looks a certain way or why this and not that or do you think that this impacted your sales or you know any number of those questions i can fold it into an interview and actually send it to the dev or like Mm. say hey um i'm at gdc this year do you have a moment to chat about you know these things and because chances are if if one person is wondering uh, if and certainly especially if the game is big enough like that's uh, probably other people are wondering the same thing or if you're the only person that plays those games like it's it's a, a an open ground in which to sort of actually dig into it and find out what's interesting and be the only person that is asking those questions so yeah yeah like i kind of in those ways i don't want them to start making those dev videos (laughs) because it means like oh valuable content (laughs) what do i do (laughs) (laughs) um on the subject of this sort of devs uh exposing their process causing backlash um I got like the tiniest, tiniest little glimpse of that um, recently when, and it was like, it was such an 
extreme example um, where the thing I was posting was just like, I had been working on a, um, a little UI element that was just going to tell you how many defect emissions you have left that you haven't completed yet in heat signature. And I wrote it as uh, like three defect emissions remaining. And then I realized, oh, when there's one defect emissions remaining, it can't say emissions anymore. It has to say mission singular. And that's just like three lines of code you don't really want to write because it just complicates things. Um, it's not hard to write. It just uh, makes the code less wieldy overall. And I realized if I phrased it as mission, uh, defect emissions, colon, three, yeah. then even when it's one, it's okay to have the plural. It just grammatically that reads okay. Um, yeah, emissions remaining zero. Yeah. And if you can, like, if you've got a lot of those, that could save you a lot of lines of code. So I tweeted that and a lot of people were, um, uh, enjoyed that and retweeted it and stuff. Um, and then eventually I got somebody saying like, well, I think the dev should just do whatever this, whatever is best for the user and not consider their own, uh, <laughs> uh, their own time. And I, I don't think that person is a developer because <laughs> you, you just know that everything that's ever made is a compromise. Everything that's ever made is we have this much time to make this thing. Yeah. We need to optimize what we can make in that time. And part of that is deciding which of these things are not that important to the end user. And this is a usability thing. Like it is a positive usability thing to not bother with things that aren't actually a problem. Mm. Like, because you get to spend that time on other stuff that does matter and you get to make, um, uh, more important decisions and fix more important problems and make the overall experience better. Well, but yeah, that was like, uh, like I say, I'm incredibly protected from this stuff. And that was one tiny case where somebody did, uh, sort of go at me for the, just for sharing a tip that was just so innocuous. <laughs> it was just so <laughs> clear. Oh, for fuck's sake. Do you really think anyone is gaining anything from me saying defect emission one? <laughs> yeah. I think. It's interesting because one of the things that I was thinking while I was reading the Charles Randall thread was about like how it's interesting how differently other people perceive the work that is being done or the effort that is going in or what they are entitled to as a recipient of that product and sort of the toxic culture that that leads into and things like you know people going well obviously it would be really easy to just add multiplayer or you know I think that was one of the examples given but um there are obviously also you know just very real trade-offs but also when I'm writing things I don't always know you know like you just can't predict how someone's going to take something and I remember I wrote something fairly recently about um because I just found the interview that Jeff Kaplan put up the dev blog rather um about how sure overwatch's development team could and should do things to help combat toxic behavior and abuse in their game but also the onus is you know there is culpability on behalf of the the player base to i.e not you know (laughs) be awful to each other to start with you know there's it, it it's not coming solely from the game it's that people are choosing to reach out to the chat box and type awful awful (laughs) things at each other and so sort of asking people to be cognizant of that when they go to do things or when they're playing the game 
because obviously if you keep on having to firefight, it does take up resources that maybe could be spent elsewhere. And it was just so interesting watching the comments that all just completely seemed to miss the point <laughs> of that. And it was like, okay, well, I don't know whether if that's like a self-selecting thing, whether, you know, the people who were galvanized to comment are maybe less likely to see that point of view. I mean, you know, not being you know, not wanting to generalise to internet commenters at all, but it's kind of like, it was an interesting, okay, what does this even, you know, like, are there people who are reading the story and getting what I was getting at with it? Or is this all just, is that how everyone then listens and takes this stuff? Like, you start wondering if you're going mad and you're just hearing things a certain way and the entire rest of the world <laughs> seems to just be like, oh no, no, we got to a completely different place with this. And I wonder whether game developers must have that like so extremely when you're kind of like, I made this change because I thought it would be really nice for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and then you suddenly get like, you know, like um David, what's his name, who made the change in... um one of the changes in, was it Call of Duty to the, uh, oh, to God, the yeah. sniper, like, rate of fire, or it was something, like, I can't yeah. remember the details and then just got death, death threats for yeah. weeks and you're kind of like, I mean. <laughs> Did you see somebody, um, uh, I think it might be on Reddit post, uh, in response to the Kaplan, um, uh, devlog about Overwatch, uh, said that, uh, they sort of, like recognized their own behavior in the things he was talking about and said like, all right, I'll just try it. I'll, I'll try being nice yes. for a while. And um, <laughs> instead of bitching about people choosing hands or whatever, they'd sort of like compliment people on their good plays and stuff. Um, and so nothing happened at first. And then like after a while of doing this, they started to find that people were nice back to them and that they just had a really I good know. time and the game was great. <laughs> wow. You discovered kindness. <laughs> Yeah, because I saw that when it um, ended up as like a screen grabbed and retweeted thing on mm. on Twitter, obviously, because I try not to poke the hornet's nest of Reddit <laughs> uh, too often. Like sometimes they have amazing stuff or just like people like really geeking out about, I don't know, like obscure lore and stuff. That's one of the best things about it. But then sometimes you just find, <gasps> whoa, yeah. okay, just shut it all down. But it, <laughs> nope, not having this. So, yeah. The best thing about Reddit is that is the thread recently that was uh, on Ask Reddit of like, what are you going to play this weekend? And Heat Signature was the top response and it got like 8,000 upvotes or something. <laughs> and it was like amazingly high profile, except like there was no sort of link or anything. There was like, it just says Heat Signature and then someone else like, someone else gave it quite a good tagline, which was like, oh, it's like Hot Miami in Space or something. And lots of people like that. But I still don't know. Did that get me anything? <laughs> Did anybody like, you know... Google, oh. I, I, you do actually get like store page analytics. You can see where hits came from, and it's it's strangely hard to really understand it. It uh, looks like almost all the hits come from basically people searching for it. Like some mm. are from Google, but most are from people searching for it in Steam. Yeah, and that really just raises further questions. It's like, why were they searching for it in Steam? Where did they come from? What, yeah, why, how do they know about it? I mean, I suppose maybe they all came from Reddit. <laughs> I wonder if because obviously that's a problem, or not a problem, but it's like it it makes the paper trail a bit harder. Because I mean, I know that if I'm looking for something and it takes me to the Steam page for a thing like in my browser i'm not logged in usually and i'm just like oh for god's yeah. sake i'll just look for it on steam so yeah. then you would lose any context that yeah. might have come from the actual <laughs> hit and it would just be yeah she typed it into the search bar in steam <laughs> yeah i think there's um i think like 
sort of marketing and acquisition folks have a term for this. And it might be something like last contact or something. There's sort of like, it's a name for the bias that, that a lot of these stats have where mm. they say like, oh, 90% of our purchases came to it through the web, but actually, you know, most of those people actually saw ads on mobile that they didn't click on because they don't want to fucking do it on their phone. Yeah. But that's why they looked for it later on their desktop or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what the actual um, relationships are like, but uh, yeah, that's a known bias. Mm. That's interesting. Um, I've kind of forgotten what the question was or whether we've answered it. I'm <laughs> okay. going to assume yes. What do you want to see a devlog for? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> um, James writes, Dear macro and micro-bars, podcast voice, uh, games are an excellent way to relieve stress, use as escapism or as a coping mechanism. As a coping mechanism, I suffer from panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and paranoia. As such, this makes life, the social interactions, and many other activities that come with it extremely stressful and exhausting. Because of my busy lifestyle, working seven days a week and helping raise a young son when I'm not at work, I don't have time. Mu- sorry, I don't have much time for games. A few hours a week, most of the time. I currently play My Summer Car, a peaceful game about building a car in the Finnish countryside. I'm always dipping into Minecraft and Terraria and other games in that vein. I pick these games because they don't require anything from me when I'm not playing them, making me anxious that I should be playing them. And they are low mental engagement when I am playing, and they have elements to them that let me scratch my OCD itch, i.e. uniform grid-based building, inventory, item management, and so on. My question is twofold. Do you have any suggestions for games that are easy to engage and disengage with, and have games help you through mental illness or difficult times in life? Thanks, and keep up the great pod. James. So the second question I think we've answered before... Um, Mm. in many ways I think so I yeah like maybe one day we should create like a list of if if you want to know about these specific things (laughs) we talk about them on these pods we should possibly be better at tagging (laughs) (laughs) mayhap um but I think I was kind of interested to read this out just because partly because I think that it's nice to hear that those specific games were good. Yeah, I was interested to know that. Um, cause my summer car is one that I was actually looking at today for some reason and then ended up. Isn't not that playing. one sort of crazy hard? Isn't it the one that gives so you no it's... instructions at all and you just have to build a car from scratch? <laughs> I think it's something like that. Like as in, yeah, it seems to be like the, the hardcore thing and maybe something like, um, Actually, Car Mechanic Simulator, if they've fixed the the teething troubles it seemed to be having at launch, that might be another. I think a lot of simulators might be good if you're in that yeah. headspace. So, for example, Euro Truck Simulator is uh, mm. perhaps a good... Um, I mean, obviously, the time sink might be the problem given life requirements, but um, that might be a good one for just sort of trying out and seeing whether that's a, a good chill out zone for you of an evening. Yeah. It's pretty basic, but I, my sort of go-to game for uh, quickly dipping into with no um, pressure is uh, Shenzhen Solitaire, which mm. is uh, a spin-off of Shenzhen IO. Uh, they made a solitaire game. It's I think it's a lot like Free Cell, but I haven't actually played Free Cell, so I don't really know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just sort of card solitaire-ish game um, where ninety-five percent of the time it's possible to solve it, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> about sixty percent of the time you'll figure that out <laughs> yeah. and know how to solve it. But it, it's, it's just like it's a nice little puzzle to solve, and it, it's very satisfying when you do it, and you usually can do it. 
depending on whether um, these kinds of games make you anxious or sort of um, end up as sort of unhealthily repetitive. Um, I really like, uh, oh, what's it called? Regency Solitaire. So yeah. that's a good, uh, it's a sort of Jane Austen romance-esque uh, solitaire game which I really like uh, from Grey Alien Games and there's also if you're more in the mood for pottering um, I would recommend Subnautica and um, No Man's Sky I mean obviously I've got enough hours in them that I, I can vouch <laughs> for their pottering <laughs> um, and you can also just play them as wandering yeah. stuff they've rather both got than... like crew, sort of uh tourist modes yeah like there's like i think um on i think it might be called creative mode on both of them Hmm. but the you know like definitely on subnautica it's possible to remove pretty much all of the you know like the food um requirements and stuff so you're not sort of in full survival mode and similarly on um no man's sky there's a few different options for how you know challenging you want the experience to be and how much you Mm. just want to wander around so yeah and they're very pretty both of them yeah okay that's all the questions we have time for you can send us questions at questions at createandcrowbar.com or tweet them at us at createandcrowbar on twitter Uh, you can follow us individually Um, I am at pentadact p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t pip so ah this reminds me Chris said that there was a question about me using double letters in when oh, really? I spell out my I name. Like, uh, I think this was maybe a week or so ago. He only uh, mentioned it in passing because um, I wasn't on that week. But so, so <laughs> my Twitter name is at P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. And I think the question was, why do you say double R but not double P? on the ah. <laughs> um <laughs> and i think i i would need to like sit down and actually properly think about this but i i think it's because of the way that you get you go p h i l i p p a but then the w introduces the concept oh, yeah. <laughs> of the double <laughs> into my head and then and also because r r is a harder thing to say than like yeah. a plosive yeah like you have to actually make the effort to delineate and so because R. I think I have just a lazy mouth, I it's, would say, you know, double R is an easier thing to say than R-R. Unless you're Sid Meier. Yes. And he's a <laughs> Which pirate. Which goes second nature to him. <laughs> but, you know, so what does he do on the 19th of September? Does he just, is like, that is like that talk like a, you know, a non-pirate talk day like for him? like a game designer day. Yes. And he just, like, wanders around going, well, yes, you know, and, and having proper business conversations. <laughs> Everyone has to meet him on that one day. <laughs> <laughs> so talk like a pirate day. Like, talking like a pirate is a sort of binary operation that... that yes. Cycles back to zero if you try and. Well, it's only a novelty if you're not a pirate, right? (laughs) If you're a pirate, you're like, oh, I need a change. Like we have text in italics, and then within the text, there's something that should be in italics, so you actually put it back to (laughs) non-italics. Yeah, or when you drag to highlight a piece of text, and so if one (laughs) thing was like in the inverse, then suddenly. (laughs) Just like all those things. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so we have a Discord room. Oh, uh, our Discord channel actually has a, um, 
Uh, okay, so what is it? A Discord server has rooms within it, right? Mm. And then I just discovered today that there's a room called Tom's Game, and I click on that and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it's about his signature. Uh, <laughs> and it's been going for like a while. I, well, I mean, I say a while, a day, I think. Um, I thought it had just been created because it was mentioned in there, and I thought, oh, maybe they're mentioning me to tell me if this exists, but actually, no, it's been going. Uh, which is cool. Um, but now you know and it's ruined. They'll have to find a yeah, new way. Yeah, I haven't been... So there's been a lot of just, like, uh, talk about Hitsinger in the on the Discord, and I have not participated that much. Um, jumped in, like, once to sort of clarify a factual thing. Mm. But for the most part... Like, a lot of people have a lot of questions about, like, oh, how does this work? Or what is this rule? Or I think this isn't in there, or uh, when really it is. Um, and I haven't spent time going in and sort of clarifying all that stuff because there's just too much of it it's just coming from all <laughs> angles all the time forever and to some extent there's like a, you know it, this game has taught me to prioritize heavily <laughs> you know, there are just a thousand things to know about it and so if if the thing you don't understand is causing you to be unable to play the game or something then i'll probably help you out but if it's just like i'm curious about this you probably won't respond because <laughs> there's just there's just so much to do at the moment. Also, the community is actually really nice. So, mm. like, I think if it's certainly if it's a thing that someone else has encountered, it's only a matter of time before someone steps in and helps you out. Yeah. Because our Discord is lovely. Yep. Um, you can find it via the the web page, I believe. We should probably set up a shortened, like a helpful shortened link for, yeah, we for this nonsense. Not that yet. <laughs> but at the moment, just go to crateandcrowbar.com and then yep. click on whatever the link is. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our general website. There's also our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash crowbar. Um, our Patreon, uh, which uh, allows you to generously fund us is patreon.com slash great and crowbar. Um, that might be it. We don't have like a Facebook page. <laughs> um, and nor should we, because Facebook are terrible and they hold your user base to ransom. Um, that's why Suspicious, Suspicious still does have a Facebook page, but I don't use it ever because uh, they did the thing where like people who've signed up to seal your posts no longer seal your posts unless you pay to send them your posts. Mm. Bullshit. and when we've joined other social medias for example pinterest i'm delaying because i think there's i feel like there's one other and i'm hoping it's going to occur to me but it hasn't hang on hang on we've done youtube we've done twitter we've done the fact that we don't have facebook i have our website in front of us we've done discord we've done the website i don't think we have any other things they can send the Questions to questions, they can... Yeah, I think we're done. I think okay. we're done here. All right. <laughs> In that case... Thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. everybody. <laughs>